And we are live. So I think, hey, we are no longer guarded. Uh, if you guys saw that Men's Journal signed uh, Club Ransom, uh, which is actually uh, Bill Mars podcast. Oh, nice. So I think awesome. we are pretty much carte blanche to say whatever we want. <laughs> so uh, we don't have the golden handcuffs. No, we don't anymore. have the golden handcuffs. And if uh, Men's Journal comes down on us, then we'll simply say, hey, Bill Mar. You just can't say, well, it's Bill Mar. Yeah. You know, he can get away with it. Yeah. No, welcome back, guys. It's been a while. And especially for Sean, you've been gone for, uh, you've been heads down running the business. Yeah, and traveling and other things, but yeah, it's getting the shit beat out of you. I know. Every yeah. time I click on Instagram and I see one of his posts, it's just like he just looks like somebody's just been beating him. I, I try. I try to do the nice thing and be helpful for people that need sparring partners. But then there's the, the you know the unintelligent side that I probably shouldn't be taking punches and throwing around <laughs> at this age, especially with heavyweights that are you know. I'm actually gonna go spar with him after this. So, who? Satoshi. Uh, Satoshi. Uh, uh, he looks thick. Yeah, he's a little bigger than me. How big? Yeah. Uh, it's probably 250. Yeah. How much you, you weigh right around what? 290. 190. I've been yeah. losing weight. I cut 10 pounds. So I'm on my way down to 180. How'd you cut it? Um, said diet. Just, just stop eating. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just throwing up, food. cutting yeah. yourself. More, a little more long cardio and a little bit less food, but same, same kind of quantity, like same quality of food, just less of it. The yeah. food drip. Yeah. The American yeah. food drip. I know. That's the uh the 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 uh the ill of us all. Well we uh we had a little workout sesh uh this morning. Uh well if you want to throw that up, it was good. Uh we worked out with Victor. Who else was there? Uh Philippe and Arash. Oh, nice. So yeah, they're uh come in on Saturday or we do three days a week, uh, Monday and Wednesday. We go two PM and then eight AM on Friday morning. And so today's what I call our density day. Ooh, which uh, usually involves moving something heavy, sandbags, kettlebells, fat bars. We did some bamboo bar today. So anything that's heavy, hard, and awkward is really the uh, the deal. So, nice. I mean, just because um, one thing that was interesting when I started training those guys, um, I, I have to constantly remember that, like, they weren't exposed to this shit as kids. Yeah. You know, like high school football, 14 years old, you know, flipping tires and all that mat drills. So there's this kind of um, – uh, the analogy I give is uh, – when they build samurai swords, what they do is they hammer out the steel and then they fold it and they hammer it and they heat it and they cool it and they quench it and they go through this whole process and it just increases the steel. So every time we train and we do something heavy and hard and I can beat them with a hammer, I just think about laying the steel and creating greater tensile strength. So I call it density. And uh, we have a bunch of heavy sandbags. I got a, a hundred and one, two, 150 and 200 pound kettlebell that they got to swing. So it's real grip intensive. And then we do some kind of push pull battle stuff. So, so he lays out the sandbags. And I tried to do the first one. I'm like, okay, you got something smaller. So all the big guys did that. I did <laughs> the 80 pounder. Yeah. I'm like, oh God, okay. Yeah, it was a 150, 100, and I think we got an 80. And I got a 200 hiding around there somewhere. Yeah. Do, so the uh, the warm ups, and I've felt completely different since starting your your yeah. your workouts. But you are a dead bug. I was going to say the word connoisseur. Connoisseur. Yeah. I was going to say Nazi. Yeah. Um, Super Nazi. So. Like if you Google dead bug, you're going to see this kind of NSAM version with the bent leg. We do a different version, um, which is actually a person laying flat on their back, arms and legs straight up. What we're really looking for is uh, flexibility in the hamstrings. I'm looking for shoulder. And really what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to use the ground to teach them how to use their trunk. And I have a theory, what I call the container theory, that if I can make the container nice and strong, then, you know, however it gets loaded, it's not going to break. When you put a little pinhole in a container, like you take a, a Coke can, you can put a tractor on top, you put a little pinhole, it explode. So really teaching them task-specific tension. And I, I got it from a old boxing coach where he talked about you need to create enough tension, but you still need to be able to move kind of like if you're boxing, and Sean knows this, as you snap out, it's kind of loose at the last minute. 
you snap out and it's nice and firm. Mm -hmm. Same with the trunk. You have to be able to be in a good position all the time, ready to take a punch, but not so hard that you end up getting, you know, smashed. I'm sure you've done this reflex as hard as you can. The guy hits you and you almost feel like your, you know, ribs are going to break. So, um, I teach it on the ground because the ground actually acts as a like fixed force. So what I can do is I can get them to try to pull their belly butt to their spine, flatten the ground, and then teach them this kind of what I call my top rib or, um, top ab kind of pulled down into position. And then once we maintain that trunk position, we use the limbs in different patterns, unilateral, contralateral, um, you know, however we want to do it, ipsilateral. And then we challenge, we challenge posture and position by moving those limbs. And what I'm really looking for too, is a lot of flexibility, not only in the hamstring, but in the hip. So the one thing we found for Victor and a lot of these guys is their hip mobility is dramatically in increased. And I don't know if it's necessarily the fact that their hip mobility is better, but I think that they can just maintain position under these different movement patterns. So it's just something I teach. And uh, it came years ago from a guy named Dr. Glasser, who is a spinal surgeon in Tampa. And he used to use this variation of a dead bug as a rehab tool to get these people back from back surgery. And when they could do various kind of movements and challenge posture and position on the ground, then they were okay. And this was his test. So he used to train with us, with uh, Raphael. So we just adapted over his dead bug. And we've used it because I can teach the position for the barbell back squat, the deadlift. I can teach everything from this dead bug. And then when I taught the CrossFit football seminars, um, we would show up, you know, walk in Saturday morning, got to train between 50 and 60 people that you've never met. The first thing we do is throw them in the dead bug. And it was an incredible diagnostic assessment tool. And it also became, you know, the test became the medicine. And anyone? So, anyone? What are you going to? What's up, Vic? What's up? We're on Brazilian time. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Guys, we're being joined by uh, Victor Hugo, who's uh, our guest. I think your headset's right there. Yeah. Cool. So uh, oh, I will oh, yeah. say so, that. So, yeah. So, they, so we'll usually start with some version of dead bug. And these guys, uh, Victor and the crew, are well-schooled in the dead bug. So I'm constantly looking for different ways to throw wrinkles at them. Like we started doing a manual resistance where now I'm doing, you know, forcing them into different positions, all at load, there'll be something in the hand and the foot. So I'm always looking for different variations. And then the reactive teapot is just uh, another frontal lane, uh, sorry, frontal plane of motion movement. So what we're doing is there's a kettlebell with some bands around it, and we'll get into this kind of frontal plane position. And what I'm really looking to do is work on this mobility because it's so hard to find that in the training. And I'm going to love to tie this in when we get to uh, to Victor, the uh, the bamboo uh, bench press that was um, that was eye opening. Yeah. How thick is the bamboo? Um, so have you ever seen it? It's like a it's a fiberglass bar. Uh, the Westside guys, um, some Louis Simmons created years ago, and what they did is they sleeved a whole bunch of PVC, and then they would uh, wrap towels around and kind of basically set it up and then they create it into a bar of course but it's a whole bunch of fiberglass and has this kind of wood on the end and then what you'll do is you'll take bands you kind of hang the kettlebells off of it so there's a bend in the bar but then also there's an oscillation effect and what it teaches you to do is actually do this so that you can create that task specific tension and move it it's incredible for shoulder rehab and then also for the flexibility in the shoulders and um, we used it for shoulder rehab and then also kind of a, a way to load without kind of killing people um, but for these guys, it's become incredible just for the fact that they're constantly in this position where they're pushing and everybody's moving. So yeah. just when, when you said we, when you were uh, in the league, what's that? No, uh, 
I did not have it in the NFL. I didn't see it until years, until the year after I retired, uh, Louis Simmons reached out to me and asked me if I would sit on the board for his certification. So I flew out to Westside and I was out there for three, three and a half weeks. And the, when I came in, they had a bamboo bar. And what the guys do is they're like, hey, do you want to bench press? So then they get the bamboo bar. And of course, it's this like crazy oscillation deal. And they kind of use it as a way to haze. So I was there that, you know, that time we played with it a bunch. I went home and I bought one, practiced. And then about a year or two later, I came back to Westside. And one of the guys was like, hey, you want a bench? And I was like, yeah, sure. What do you want to do? He's like, you ever done this bamboo bar thing? I'm like, no, let's try it. So he lays down and then all of a sudden I get into position and just like perfect. And he's like, can't figure it out. We just keep loading plates up. I ended up doing 315 for like a set of six. You're kidding me. Yeah. So we had 315 pounds of kettlebells hanging off that thing. Off that fiberglass bar. And it held it. No kidding. So yeah, it was, uh, and then the guy was like, after five sets, you know, the guys at Westside weren't all that sharp. He was like, have you done this before? I'm like, yeah, dipshit. So, yeah, so we'll always start up with some form of dead bug. And then also we were doing reactive teapots. There's another one we do like a Spider-Man, um, which is really just an elbow to instep working on trying to get them into this unilateral kind of lunge position, work on the hip flexibility, and then get them to come up with their trunk and then work on a little bit of rotation. So I'm constantly focused on three different planes of motion, um, you know, frontal plane, sagittal, and then transverse. That's where the rotation comes from. And then X, Y, and Z axis, different planes of motion. So hinging, stepping, and stepping up. So those all have to fit within our warm up. Well, we'll make sure we uh, we get that uh, post out with the entire workout video as well, and then uh, looking forward to uh, follow on Fridays. But let's get into a little men's journal updates. Well, I think you guys are probably tracking this one. I think the whole world is tracking this one. The uh, the sub, which unfortunately has uh, ended tragically. Was it eight five? A total of five. People lost, I believe it was. I know Victor's five. big on it. You've been so, following it? Oh, yeah. He's yeah, on it. Five. Yep. Are, are, are you a Reddit guy? Do you follow this on Reddit? Uh, Not this, but yeah, sometimes I look at Reddit. I don't have a Reddit account, though. I'm just like stalking people there. My wife would come home and pretty much give me the update. She's like, do you want the update? I'm like, sure. As soon as I heard that they had to bolt them in from the outside with 18 like massive one-inch bolts, so they put the cap on and then they had to get bolted from the inside, I was like, yeah, no, that's not good for me. The minute that I saw myself go into the tube and somebody from the outside bolted me in, I would have been like, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. There's no way. So are you uncomfortable in tight spaces? Um, I don't, I wouldn't say like when they put no. me in an MRI tube, it's not an easy feeling. For uh, me. No, but um, I also have a fairly decent sense of self-survival. Yes. Like uh, I've been in many situations where I'm like, nope, like we're all going to die. And like that to me just looks like a, a basically a, a coffin that's going underwater when this uh i think this happened on sunday night was it uh, that they, they it went missing uh fox news called me hey would you come on and talk about this i'm like absolutely not i've got no experience <laughs> whatsoever i dove probably at a, at, a, at a maximum of uh 25 feet but two hundred and fifty thousand dollars per seat and so this is a a sport or luxury of the rich i think i think everyone on there was a multi-millionaire there was one billionaire unfortunately there was a 19 year old and apparently his aunt said he was, he, he did not want to go, but his father was very adamant that uh, he joined him. Well, I got one problem. I saw the pictures and they had like a Nintendo controller steering it. And then also the recovery beacon 
was tied to the same energy source or the power source as everything else. Mm -hmm. Like normally you're supposed to have a fail safe where like if everything fails, like we need a separate battery for the beacon. So the fact when they lost, yeah, when they lost power, they lost the ability to be found. I saw the guys closing there with like a socket thing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's what I was saying. Like they put the thing on and then they ran the bolts and the guy was like, I'd be like, there's no way. Is is there a way to undo those? No, no. So once you're in, you're along for the ride, no matter yeah. what happens. Um, so my, my point with Reddit is, uh, you know, when finally the word came out, uh, was it Thursday or Friday that it had imploded? A lot of people on Reddit were like, good. Basically, the rich deserve oh, that, which is damn. a little disgusting. Yeah. And have and a little like respect. The, obviously, the money is going to go back to support the exploration. You know, obviously, there's scientists going, but when they open it up to the public, and people can pay it also brings money into the program and they're able to then well i think that's what the guy was trying to do he was trying to raise money to buy like a bigger luxury sub so i think he was doing it for these guys hit them with a high price and then they were going to fund like a bigger sub so they could do more people the thing that i think is odd about it is that they didn't have the regulation and the testing and the certifications for the sub prior um and people were questioning why you know because of what it was made out of why it hadn't been tested at depth first without people so that may be an instrument of i know when you're outside of territorial waters uh-huh. maritime law gets very like funky you can get away with a lot of yeah. things in the open ocean uh, that's not regulated by one uh overall entity but um i, I did have a buddy the guy who went on triple uh, seven the 73 year old uh-huh. uh, who did the marianas trench oh wow and it was something like 15 hours they were pissing in tubes just two man sub the two of them, but the fact that you, you, I mean, you're watching, if you get down to the Titanic, you're watching the Titanic through a screen yeah. and send a, send a, I'll sit up on, on the surface on a ship and just, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's some people are into to, it, it to was maritime like, things. It was like when we had the dude on talking about going to um, uh, hiking to Mount Everest, there wasn't a single part of me that was like, man, I want to do that one day. I was like, no way. I'm good. I'm totally happy you went and show me the picture. Yeah. Different strokes for different yeah. folks. Like, uh, did you see, uh, after we talked, I Googled it where that guy, uh, like the Sherpa dude put the, like wrapped the dude up in that deal and put him on his back and then Sherpa the dude down for six hours. The guy like, okay, that's the toughest dude. On, on, on that note, I got a, uh, a note on LinkedIn, uh, with a little displeasure in the guy and I, you know, closed the conversation cordially, but he's like, Hey, why, why did you guys have to call it a, a sport for rich white guys? Like, why would you even go there? What on the on because we we called climbing Everest a, oh. a rich white guy and he he's like why why would you even go there I'm like hey dude it was a joke it was a joke like don't don't worry about it move on so uh, we're gonna piss off certain people next uh, next one oh this is John you may have a little uh, competition here power athlete may uh, go away here as Apple's reported uh, potentially a fitness program. With their new Apple Vision, they're looking at rubber, uh, I guess, coatings so that you can sweat while using the uh, wow. the, uh, the system, which we all know. Uh, have you guys played with the VR headsets? No. Uh, so my son has an Oculus. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I played on it. Uh, after about 15 minutes, I had to go up, sit outside and like look out in the horizon because uh, I just like it, it messed with my vision. Now, vestibular system, were you yeah, getting a like, little nauseous? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, like I didn't feel nauseous. I just felt like I couldn't get my eyes to 
once I took it off, I couldn't get my eyes to focus. So I Googled it real quick and they're like, go sit somewhere and like look far in the horizon, your eyes will readjust. So for every 15, 20 minutes he plays, he has to go outside and sit outside and look at the horizon. And so all of a sudden they'll be like, you played for an hour, dude. That means you got to go sit outside and it's hot. So then we'll go get in the pool and like mess around. But it's, um, it's, it's weird. He plays this game called Gorilla Tag where they're basically gorillas in like the, in like this kind of jungly thing and they chase each other around. It's tag. Yeah. You're yeah. And they climb walls and it, it's, it's hilarious to watch them do it. You know, my problem with this is I, one, if you don't have access to equipment, basically you're limited on workouts you can do. But again, it goes to that community aspect that we're all big on people join the, uh, the boxing gym or go do jets at your place because they want that sense of community. Yeah. Um, it seems yeah. like this is just another form yeah, of Uber Eats. Yeah. Stay at home. Don't yeah. don't socialize. And yeah, it's you know you look at those mirror workouts too. There's like a mirror. You oh, stand in front of it. It's like tonal. I hate those. You know, and it, the thing is, is like people have had access to treadmills in their house for you know 50 years, and, and nobody uses them because well, yeah. there's no community. There's no. Do you know what they're used for? Dogs hanging clothes. Hanging clothes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The amount of people I've walked in and seen a exercise yeah. equipment in their house, and they usually use it to hang clothes. I'm like, ah, don't do it. Yeah, my wife bought one during COVID. Has not used the uh, the thing since. Because wh why would you? When you can go walk in the hills of uh, Austin, yeah, it's much more beautiful. Yeah, yeah. We have um, we have what a, a treadmill and a, a salt bike, but we actually use it because we have uh, this hypermax oxygen thing we've been testing for a couple of years, where you exercise with oxygen and it's um, like basically reduces viral load in the system. So I, I try to do that three, four days a week. Here's my theory. I think humanity, and I think we're already starting to see it, is going to have an allergic reaction to this. They're, they're eventually going to resist because technology, while there are great aspects to it, and we all agree, access to information, you're trying to make two things. I mean, you're, you're basically telling people you need to stay home for everything or you can't yeah. stay home for everything. Well, wasn't there a movie about that? Surrogates? Where, was yeah, was that the one where like you basically you send your robot out and then you just kind of sit at home? Bruce yeah, Willis, Bruce that's right. That's right. I'd, I'd really love to have like Victor be my surrogate for jujitsu. Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, I'm going to jits. I'm going to watch. I'll be like, okay, Victor, walk over there. I want you to smash this dude and then I'll sit at home and watch Victor kill people with jujitsu. All right. It is kind of like the Matrix, right? <laughs> yeah. You're plugging in. Well, the only, the, the, I mean, the boxing gym's the same thing. Like, if you join jujitsu or a boxing gym, you end up with like twenty-five new friends you knew you never needed or what, knew, knew you'd had. What was the uh, the one with uh, Gerard Butler, where gamer. gamer? But there's also a world where you know you've got this fat guy who's playing a hot woman in the reality. Uh, it's it's sick. It's almost like a, an anonymous uh, handle on uh, Twitter or anything else. Let's go to the next one, and this will segue nicely. Speaking of surrogates, you think it's really him, or you think he just has like a really high-end robot that does jujitsu? It could, yeah. First off, who who is who is Mark Zuckerberg training with in uh, in the Bay Area? Dave Camarillo. Is it? Yeah, he's uh, an old Half Gracie black belt. He was a uh, kind of a, a judo Olympic hopeful. Him and his brother, his brother, uh, his brother Dan is really good at judo. They both got black belts jujitsu. And they, you know, they teach in different areas. Um, but Dave's been involved with um, with basically coaching jujitsu for, you know, maybe 30 years now. He's very good. And um, he's a part of, um, what's that MMA team out there in San Jose? Big MMA team. Only one out there. Yeah, like, I know what you're talking about. It's in San Jose. 
kickboxing team. It's not a, AKA, a, a Raya Fate. Uh, AKA. Yeah. He's like the head jiu-jitsu coach I'm, AKA for a long time. Yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, yeah. the little Hispanic guy who was a, a pro. Uh, we used to bring him into uh, into the SEAL teams. Oh. Uh, he's close with uh, Dave Camarillo, but I saw that Camarillo was uh, training uh, Keanu Reeves yeah. for uh, Wick 4, mm. or whatever the name is, John Wick 4. So yeah. who, who do you go with on, on this one, Victor? Knowing that uh, Zuckerberg is, I guess he's been competing. Yeah, he's I been in tournaments. He has more media, right? Like he has videos out there training. He moves. does, yeah. I don't know about Elon. Though. Uh, no, did, nothing. Did you I think see... he's probably going to download Jiu-Jitsu to a ship, put it on his brain, and just like, <laughs> he's, it out. he's like, yeah, I yeah. know Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, he'll just neural link it in. Yeah. Um, what <laughs> was the, that happen? Uh, I saw like a clip of Zuckerberg doing some MMA stuff, yeah. and it was real awful. Well, yeah, but it's, I mean, you gotta remember he's like these yeah. tournaments are probably in like Palo Alto. No, no, you know, no, he was uh, he, he was just in a training, but I think it was early on when he started. Yeah, I think it was like probably like when he first yeah. started posting a lot of it. wasn't that bad, Joe. It, dude, he, he was wearing uh, like shin guards yeah. and like he, he he was like covered. It, it looked like when, when, uh, um, like when you go to the skis lifts and you see like little kids where their moms like basically start just taping pads all over them. It was insane, but I mean, he dude, he's been out competing and. Uh, he did get choked out though, and then he's like, "How oh, do you get choked out?" I'm like, "Yeah, no, you got choked out." Which I don't know why is that's bad. I get choked out often. It's part of part of the sport. Yeah. What's what's up with his hair? Like it just looks so fake. Like he almost looks like Pinky in the Brain. Oh, that is a weird, weird uh, area. If it's a poor picture, uh, how much do you think it would cost? Like, how much would you have to pay him to like be like, let's let's roll, like uh, like just give me two rounds. Do you, do you think just he, register in tournament? No, but like, uh, well, one, I mean, different weight class, but like he doesn't train at a school. So it's not like you're going to get to rounds with Mark Zuckerberg. Well, I, I'll tell you what, the, the, the least we can do is would you train Elon if he contacted you? Me? Yeah. To prep him for this. Yeah. But you gotta be committed, right? Too like, well, gonna... he'd have to train, he'd have to lift weights. Yeah. So we'd have to like get him in shape. We'd have to get Sean in to teach him his fight game. And then we have to teach him jits. I mean, the fact that he called to a cage, a cage match right away it doesn't give me confidence, right? Like, oh, let's do, let's do cage. What, cage so, match. isn't the UFC always in a cage? That's so weird. Like, Sean, what's the what's the historical precedent on calling for a cage match? Yeah, I think it's basically, you know, like most people in society, their their views of their own fighting skills are much, yeah, you know, in their mind, much higher than the reality of the situation. And I mean, the one advantage for for being in a cage you can't get stuck in a corner like a boxing ring yeah where people get trapped and pummeled yeah i mean um, if we get if we get kirk involved in this kirk can put elon on a uh enhanced program and, uh, well <laughs> i mean uh who's, who's the amazon owner i'm, I'm, I'm blanking uh, uh bezos yeah you look at him he's in great shape oh yeah, yeah that's true. he's definitely on dude, some sort of trt dude when i so he um uh, I think I've told you this. I met him at Tony Gonzalez's Hall of Fame uh, post party. Um, Jeff's, fee, I, I guess, wife now, uh, Lauren Sanchez. Uh, her and Tony dated, and they have a, a child together, mm -hmm. Nico. So um, you know, Tony, I was best man in his wedding, and I'd watch Nico grow up. So now all of a sudden, Nico is like Jeff Bezos's stepson, and I was like, "How's that?" He's like, "Oh, we do a lot of fun stuff." I'm like, "Yeah, no shit." But uh, I was at Tony's Hall of Fame kind of after party, and I, I hadn't seen Lauren in years. And then Michael Strahan was there, and then she introduced me to her boyfriend. And I'm like, "Nice to meet you, Jeff. My wife orders from your company every single day, you know." And uh, he was just hanging out, like was like how the sliders. I'm like, they're awesome, you know. Like it was, um, 
very surreal experience. I wanted to be like, hey, uh, here's my card. Can we do a podcast? But now nah, he seemed like a nice dude just hanging out. I didn't see any security. There were no drones. So I was kind of a little surprised that he didn't have like an entourage around him. So just kind of a normal cat. I love that he says semi-location. So he actually watches the sport enough to be able to steal Khabib's uh, uh, lines. So he's obviously like a fan of MMA and watches a lot. I think, didn't he like rent out a whole like facility for one of the Apex fights? It was like he was there. It was like a private. That's right. I heard that. <laughs> well, here, here's the good side of this. At least they could choose a great foundation uh, and raise a ton of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Through uh, through this event, and I, you know what? The one thing about Elon is never never discount him to come up with a program. Yeah. And and implement it. And he, uh, it would be interesting uh, to see how much money these guys spend. Yeah. Where cool. does he live? So I think Elon floats between here. Austin uh -huh. and uh, in Silicon Valley. Okay. But Silicon Valley is, and that's where, I mean, I, you didn't grow up far from it, yeah. but I grew up right in the heart of it. Uh, you know, one of the funniest things, and I'll, I'll make sure that this story is appropriate. Uh, we had about 20 seals uh, in uh, Palo Alto and there's a hotel called uh, the Rosewood hotel on Sand Hill road, which Sand Hill road is like the venture capital private equity, like road, of the world has the most private equity and venture capital firms along that road. And so the Rosewood is famous and, and many magazines have written this for Cougar night, uh, which is like Thursday night. And so we had just met with Sergey Brin and all these other executives. It was a leadership exchange and Sergey Brin's like, Hey, you guys go to the Rosewood hotel. It's the famous Cougar night. My tab. We're like, you sure? He's like, yeah. For 20 seals. <laughs> so we're like top shelf whiskey. <laughs> I'll take a whiskey and Coke. He's like, you're going to mix this with Coke. I'm like, yeah, why not do it? Uh, so we, we, I think we charged like $15,000, uh, but the guys were in heaven. Cause you have all these rich divorcees and they kept asking, they're like, are you guys with a professional sports team? We're like, yeah, we're, we're professional athletes. And it was, uh, it was absolutely hilarious, but it is just a weird environment. And then it turned out at that hotel, the staff had a lot of Russian women on the, uh, the staff. And they were getting paid by some of the guests or people that live in that area for sexual favors. But how they did it was pretty interesting is there was a jewelry store in the Rosewood and they would go buy the jewelry. That's what they would give to uh, the gals and the gals would exchange it for uh, cash back. And eventually uh, a lot of uh, high name uh, tech leaders uh, were okay. implicated in uh, using uh, those services. Uh. Do you, uh, Victor, do you think that Elon is more of a new wave or six blades guy? You think he's more Danaher or Shanji? Uh, I don't know, honestly. It's <laughs> a hard question. Man, I, I just like, I, I know that's not, not serious because I've never seen him actually like in doing any work. But I think it's a, it's a good highlight for the combat sports, you know, to have two guys talking about like combat. It's pretty good, you know. He puts like yeah, I think yes, good, highlights and, well, and like he's a good example. Like, who is not thinking like, man, Mark Zuckerberg can train? Like, yes, I think I can too, hundred percent. And it can be pretty hard. Yeah. So props to the guy to still like stick to it and like doing a tournament, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say ninety nine percent of the population is going to do it, and he has everything to lose, and he's doing it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, what? Uh, um, and jumping in on the competition so quickly, yeah. you know? Some people, like, they train for a long time and they're, like, afraid of it. Yeah. They're like, oh, like, they think they have too much, yeah. like, to lose. What about that guy? Like, yeah, being in another yeah. yeah. company, you know? He could, like, 
I'm pretty sure he lost to a guy. I think I didn't see what the guy works for, but I think the guy works in like a pharmacy or something. Oh, he want to get some some pharmacy tech? No, like some like guy regular, yeah, yeah. just like some regular when, dude uh, that choked him out. When we tournament. were at Worlds, uh, we were standing there, and Mario Lopez walked up. Remember, we were standing there watching. Yeah. Yeah, and so he was there, and then uh, as in uh, saved by the bell, yeah, Mario Lopez. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. a little dude. I, I didn't realize how little he, a dude he was until we were standing there. He's but he's been in uh, Jets for quite a while, right? Yeah, I want to say he's yeah. like a purple color, purple bill. And then Tom Hardy, uh, I keep seeing that stuff pop up all the time. So yeah. Tom Hardy actually goes out and does like, uh, yeah. I mean, he was I think at like ADCC uh, European recently. So I, I just. It, like there's a ton of clips of him competing and he's, he's actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. And he's involved, I think in a group in the UK that gets a lot of uh, amputee vets mm -hmm. into, uh, into jits as well. Well, Victor, we, we haven't introduced you. Welcome and congrats. Thank Double you. gold 2023 Jiu Jitsu world championships. And that's only been done a couple times, right? Or is that. It's been done. Uh, uh, there was a guy called Marcus Almeida. He did it a couple times, you know, but the way that I did it was, it's been 14 years because I, I was able to submit my, both of my finals. So the last time that that happened in the tournament was 2009. So that what made, that's what made it, you know, kind of more special. Who, who was that, Bushesha? It was Roger. Oh, it was, it was the last one. It was Roger Gracie. And there's only four people. And then it was the first time it. in history that somebody had won Brazilian Nationals and Worlds. Yes, in the same year, yes. That's amazing, man. Thank you. And, and yeah. you are 25 or 26? 26. 26. Damn. 26. Is it when the people that did do that in 2029, how old was was that individual at the time? Which one? Oh, uh, I'm not sure, but towards the end of his career, I think. Yeah, no towards kidding. the end, I think. Probably. He had won a couple, a couple tournaments. Now, yeah, I know you guys have been working for how long now? Um, since October. Yes. Yeah, like eight, almost eight, nine months. Did Did you feel like the uh, the programming that he's running you through, you're better conditioned and yes. stronger than your opponents? Hundred percent. And it's funny to have John and Sean on the room because Sean has helped me a lot too. Too, you know, kind of more like he doesn't. People don't see it as working that much, but we're working like every other Tuesday. Like yeah. every Tuesday, we'd be working wrestling. So I think the align those two helped a lot. Yeah, no, these guys do a, a wrestling class that we went up for. So yeah, I like to. It's kind of funny. I think it's Sean was probably able to see the changes because oh, yeah. he see, he he actually feels it right. Like yeah. Yeah. he's able to see and feel it. And wrestling forces you to be way more like physical. So that's yeah. when you I get to be more physical and use the the things that I'm learning from John. You know, it's yeah. basically just recruited a bunch of old broken ex athletes to come in and help <laughs> a bunch of broken old fucking aspens. <laughs> A lot of experience. A lot of experience. Uh, he's like, hold on. What not to do. He's like, I got this collection of all these old fuckers that, uh, you know, all broken yeah. down. And we're like, one more Cans. time. Uh, yeah. Like, come on, one more time. No, it's good. It's, uh, I mean, it's exciting too, where, you know, we get to live a little vicariously um, through, you know, what, what he's doing. So, I mean, like, uh, it was, it was neat to do what I did. And it's even funner. It's more fun now to see what he's doing as well, too. So, and to see how far he's come. Uh, like, I still laugh. I've still have videos and pictures of like day one. And to see how far uh, everybody has come just in, within the training within eight months is like anything short of phenomenal. And then what was nice was whenever I talked to Sean, I'm like, how are they doing? He's like, dude, they're really strong. Like, they're doing so much better. They're in better condition. Like, everything's just coming along. So it's always nice to get outside feedback on that. When, when he started, 
strength wise, mobility wise? I mean, how did, how did you structure a program for him knowing uh, his end state was uh, worlds? Um, I didn't. Um, so when Shanji approached me about working with Victor, uh, Shanji didn't really tell me much. He just said, hey, this guy's a really special brand of jiu-jitsu. He has some injuries and he needs, uh, he needs help. And that's all Shanji told me. So I, when we started, I wasn't a, you know, didn't do jujitsu and wasn't necessarily a Jits fan. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like I just didn't know who the culture was and who these guys were as players. Um, I've since got up to speed on it um, just because we have a text thread and a Instagram thing that just kind of goes around. So when they showed up um, and when I met them, not only were they nice kids, I, I joke, I call them kids because, you know, they could be my kids uh, just in age because I'm so old. Um, but uh, very respectful, um, hardworking, and uh, just a very like light sense of every day they walk in. Like sometimes when you work with professional athletes, and I was probably like this too, there's a lot of brooding and like entitlement and just like, oh, we have to do it today. There isn't a single day, as awful as it's been, where they've been like, I don't want to do this today or any prima donna shit. Like every day was like, what are we doing? Excited to be here. Thank you so much. Big hugs. And uh, like that was all. And I was like, you know what? Um, I, I don't know who these guys are, but I know that one, they need this. And two, they appreciate it. And two, they're going to work hard. Like that's all I want. Just like come in and fucking die on the sword, bust your ass, work hard. And like, you know, and then as I got to know them, I was like, oh shit, these guys are actually like, it just was funny. I went down and I, I had uh, taken my daughter up to six blades to Shanji's place. And I didn't necessarily know who he was. And then after, like, I went down and Googled and was like, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. So, um, but when I met Victor, you know, he had some, some issues with injury and that's something that I can fix and something that we can, we can deal with. And I just was like, all right, we'll put him in the model and we'll see how he does. And uh, all of a sudden, like he turned the corner really quick. And then as I saw him go out and started kind of immersing into this jujitsu thing, I was like, oh, these kids are pretty good. Shit. Let's not fuck this up. So that's kind of how it worked. Diet, diet as well. We yeah, control that. yeah, we did the diet stuff. Um, put him on the anabolic diet. You know, the big thing when we assessed his diet wasn't eating enough proteins, wasn't eating enough calories. And I think like, um, you know, that was just a big thing. Just making sure, you know, you can't put on muscle without eating protein. So making sure he was eating enough. So we did some anabolic little carb cycling early on, which I think worked. And now all of a sudden I think he's doing a little bit more balanced stuff, but also supplementation, you know, make sure he's taking creatine and beta alanine, vitamin D supplementation is another big one. So just making sure that the supplements are right, the food's right. And then really just managing the volume because they train so much, you know, sometimes two or three times in a day. So the, uh, how much were you weighing in at when you, you started working with John? I mean, Kind of are the same, but I think I was able to like change up a little bit the body, like a recomp, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. The recomp was uh, substantial. Yeah, like the before and afters are pretty good. How much? How much muscle mass? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we've done dexes. Yeah, I have to do another dexa, you know. But it's noticeable, like for me, like during training all that, be able to like have more conditioning, be able to. I feel like you know, like more explosive and all that, you know. Oh, it's uh. I mean, like just just a lot of the stuff. Like when uh, I, it was neat for me. The really the first jujitsu tournament I've ever been to was to see him compete at Worlds. So like I didn't necessarily have an appreciation for it, but like he did some stuff uh, that was really cool. Where like you know you like uh, um, you basically speared that dude, and like there's a great one of like him hitting the dude in the air, and it looks like just like an open field tackle. And then to see him standing out there in comparison to the other guys. I was like, man, uh, I think it was either Lovato or Shanji. He was like, he looks like an NFL player out there. And it, it's true. I mean, just physical stature compared to those other guys, it, they like 
they look like what you'd expect. And then Victor's out there looks like he plays in the NFL, like a big tight end, big outside backer, you know, like big and thick in the shoulders, big in the legs and just, just stout. Is, is, let me ask you this. Is are some of, or is there drug testing in the world championships? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Versus other other leagues that that probably don't test. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. jujitsu testing is expensive too. You know, yeah. so you gotta you gotta you gotta wait on that. So people are like, oh, they're just they just test the champions of the division, something like that. People want more testing in the yeah. world because yeah. they say there's a chance that I I won't be tested even if, if I want because they only choose some people. But it's expensive. You know, you you saw actually charge them big yeah. money for that. So I kind of understand that private events they don't test. But yes, I think that also gives a chance for people to just duck worlds for any reason, say, oh, I'm not going to compete. But yeah. they know that there's a possibility that it could get tested. Yeah. So, I mean, it's um, historically, I think Jits has been, I mean, I guess all combat sports were always kind of heavy on the drug stuff. Yeah. But uh, I do appreciate the fact that they're testing the champions, which is cool because, you know, I'm actually you know, like uh, you win and there's no stress. Like the, the little USADA dude was right there and we were like waved at you as you walked away. It's not like you're over there trying to run out the back door and, hey, yeah, I got a flight. see yeah. some guys yeah. are getting stressed about it. It's funny. <laughs> well, okay. and there were some other dudes there that uh, looked dramatically different than I had seen them in months past as we were kind of watching this thing. These guys kind of looked and then when they showed up, it was like the like their little brothers showed up, not them. So it's, it's kind of nice. And I talked to Victor about this, the strength base and that base of – just conditioning and strength that we've developed will never leave him. Like you might not train for a few weeks, you come back and snaps right back. It's not like you're gonna, you know, lose thirty pounds or something and go from like, you know, like superhero to normal dude. Dude, you've been in the uh, the sport for what three, going on three decades. Yeah. With programming, it seemed like it, it wasn't as big a deal back then as yeah. it was now. Well, the sport wasn't a big deal back then, really. I mean, it was so new and grassroots. No one knew what jiu-jitsu was, really. Um, it wasn't really until, I think, mixed martial arts got more mainstream and, like, Joe Rogan started talking about it a lot where people started kind of looking at it as a hobby. Before, it was just people that knew the sport and were kind of into, like, early MMA kind of jumped into it. But otherwise, it wasn't – it was very, like – most people didn't know what it was. Um, so it's still relatively new. So that kind of like you have to give it a little bit of a break because it, it's still not super structured, but it's still new. Like, so most people just do what their coach did. They're not always trying to make it better. And there's obviously so much room for improvement uh, as far as like curriculum and structure and organization. It's hard though, because some people have such different goals. Like some people want to compete and some people just want to do it uh, twice a week for fun. Um, so if you have a class of people, sometimes they, you're in the same room. Yeah. You're like, yeah. well, okay. I, I mean, this is, that's difficult. You know, what other sport has pros mixed with, you know, it's, it's difficult as a coach because you don't want to favor like super intense and then everyone quits. Cause that's what will happen. And there's a lots of gyms like that that are just so focused on like the best guys. And then everyone else comes in and they start down here and they just quit. Like they barely can make it through a warm up and they quit. And that's not good. Cause then you have no one learning jujitsu. Um, so it's, it's difficult to do, but. You know, as far as Victor, I saw the biggest thing I, I saw is explosive speed and like his ability to change speeds. Because usually in the past, he's very technical, works off his back, very good on top, but it was a slower pace and he moves constantly. So for a big guy, it's very unusual because usually big guys like get on top and they hold and they like go for little gains in position and they and they're used to muscling people and they're used to being heavy on top. And Victor's very fluid and he just keeps moving, keeps moving, keeps moving. He wears people out. 
and he's super technical. So now if you add that strength and explosion to a guy that has that fluidity and that technical ability, then you're going to get what, what he just did. You know, we just kind of ran through everyone and it wasn't even close. I mean, if you submit both guys in the finals, the reason that's very impressive is you watch like the Olympic final in wrestling. It's, it's like barely one person scores because the two best guys in the world usually are going to be so close that you're not going to see an entertaining match for, <clears throat> You know, for the common person, they watch like Floyd Mayweather boxing and he doesn't get hit. And they're like, oh, it's boring. You know, it's a world title fight. They're both good. You're not going to see just a smashing. And most uh, sports, that's what you see at the finals is you see, like, if you watch their their quarterfinals and the, early, they just run through everyone. And then by the time they get to the finals, they're so evenly matched that it's like a dogfight. So if you submit the guy in the finals, then that's a huge disparity of, of technique. And he did that twice. So that's impressive do, do you feel like something added to your game like all of a sudden like once we started working on the strength and the mobility and all these different positions that kind of allowed you to kind of add more things to the to the toolbox correct yeah and as i said like as we started working with you like honestly like after adcc i thought that i need to make a few changes that's when right we start working and start working with sean you know yeah. the main thing about jiu-jitsu is that what brings people into jiu-jitsu a lot of times is, is very accessible for anyone to do it because you don't have to be strong you don't have to be in shape like John trains with guys out of shape all the time and they still can give you trouble even though he's in very good shape. So at the highest level, you become super technical and you don't have to be physical, you know, because it was very technical. You learn how to be efficient. But at some point, that will take you to only so far, you know. So I think like this last past eight months was just about like become more physical, you know, like be able to get physical and, you know, almost like you have like a booster on a video game. You can like press that booster and just make shit happen, you know? And yeah, like learning the physicality, the fitness part with John and then uh, be able to drill wrestling. Because I think when it comes to physicality, if you watch wrestling, it's probably one of the most physical sports in the world, you know? You can't just be technical for wrestling. Yeah. You got to be physical, you know? And Jiu-Jitsu, a lot of times you see the lighter divisions. The guys are just technical. There's not a lot of physicality. They're so good at making stuff happen. They just, they're so good at finding positions, you know? And... I think it's just a mix, you know, like being technical and like being like uh athlete. So yeah, I think that's like what's happening right now. And I like it, you yeah. know. And I think it's a high, like it gives you a high sense of like reward because I go there, like putting the work with John, like, you know, like last session was like 105 outside. Uh, like, it, it was, I was it laughing. Was 111 like, in the I building. was laughing because it was so hard. And then, yeah. like, he, we have no AC. It was probably like 130 on the inside. What uh, do you think? They said, like, my watch said 111 in the building. Dude. Like, oh, and so man. we have a big ceiling fan. They were training at 2 in the afternoon on that, like, the other day when it was like 106 outside. And uh, it was like, I yeah, I wasn't even training. And I was, like, sweated through all my clothes. Like, one yes, year ago, I would be like, be able. yeah. One year ago, I would be like, man, like, I can't do this. And, like, I was laughing because I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I love this. It's just like learning how to like hard stuff. Same thing with the wrestling. Some days wrestling is pretty tough too. Like, you know, repeating, putting ourselves in the position that I don't really have to be in jiu-jitsu, but just put, putting myself there because I know it's the thing that I need to get better on. So it's just like a, a high rewarding like thing to do, you know. Yeah, wrestlers are always some of the most fit, fit dudes you'll ever see. Yeah, it's a brutal. It's like a seven-minute EVO2 max test. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're usually uh, <laughs> they're usually a little strange. So um, uh, my buddy Matt, who's uh, who's my training partner, he trains in the morning. You know, he wrestled heavyweight at Cornell, and uh, he like showed up today, and he was like so excited. He's like, "When are we gonna start?" He's just he likes to wrestle. 
And even these guys, he like grabbed him all of a sudden. He was like, he was ready to go. He's like, oh man, I'm so excited to start. He just, he's a fucking weirdo. And like most dudes that wrestle at a high level are a little strange. And like you need people that are willing to go in and just because average people aren't willing to suffer in that. The amount of pain, right? Yeah. The amount of pain. And there's a little, like any other sport, but like there's this really small chance that you're going to be able to like be drafted to one or something like that, right? So, yeah. And you start so young as well. Well, Sean, you see a lot of collegiate wrestlers break into the UFC and MMA or MMA. Um, is it just due to their physicality alone? Because ultimately, technique wise, they're usually lacking. Yeah, I think submissions. it's a competition experience. It's a competition because they start when they're young, like Victor was saying, and they compete since they're in junior high. And then they work their way through like state championships, which are like big deals. And if they win the state title, they have to come back and do it again. Now there's all the pressure on them to do it again. Some of them win three state titles, go to the go to college, go through, win a couple NCAA titles. That's on ESPN. You know, it's nationally televised. They're getting that experience, that competition experience. They're competing two, three times a week their whole life. So when it comes to cutting weight, when it comes to being on TV, when it comes to like getting ready for a fight, they have ultimate experience. They already have like a level 10 of experience. And even if their 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 technique is behind the other guy, their experience will pull them through. And they're just so comfortable that they just go out and they can perform hard three, five minute rounds and it makes up for so much. So that's, that's the biggest advantage I think they have. And obviously they have the ability to dictate where the fight goes. So if they want to, if they, if they determine that they have an advantage on the feet, they can stay on the feet. If they want to, if they're like, oh, I'm getting hit, this isn't good. I'll take the guy down. So that's where like the, the Russians have had success because they have high level wrestling and boxing and they are able to blend those pretty well. Um, and then if once people kind of like catch up and, and, you know, like there's some really good jiu-jitsu guys that if they take them down, they're going to get in trouble. And that's kind of what, you know, is interesting when you watch like, um, you know, some of the, some of the Russians go against the better jiu-jitsu guys is that they can't necessarily just take them down. They have to try to outbox them. Would you, uh, if, if you were going to design like the perfect fighter, what would be the like maturation mm. process where they do uh, boxing and jits wrestling? Mm. Like how would you kind of layer this stuff in? I think you can kind of go in various orders, but I think early exposure to those various things, the hard thing is wrestling because you can't just go learn wrestling. Like you can go to a boxing gym, you go to a kickboxing gym and there's jujitsu gyms in every country, every state. If you want to learn lesson, you, there's no wrestling clubs, none. Yeah. Like, so if you're, they want their eyes, they're empty. Cause yeah. people don't want to do it. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's so, it's so like not a good business that <laughs> nobody's going to open a wrestling gym. Like it's literally only like competition for like seniors that are going to do the world title and things yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. It's very unusual. Mm -hmm. So judo, you can learn anything else you can learn. You can learn lots of arbitrary combative sports. You can go learn how to shoot. You could try to be like an army ranger if you want, but you can't learn to wrestle uh one of our coaches um is a high you know wrestled for a long time and then is a high school wrestling coach and i like i remember i saw him and i kind of like uh he works for dr tom out in arizona his name's bryce i grabbed bryce and i was like dude what's up i grabbed him and then all of a sudden he like grabbed me and grabbed me by the wrist and i was like oh yeah he's really like just it was one of those things where all of a sudden I had to, I remembered, I was like, oh yeah, this guy's a wrestler. Yeah. And he's just real, he wrestles with these kids all the time and he's just super stout and real strong. Yeah. Wired. Odd, odd grip strength wrestlers. Yeah. Like, you know, they're so like this, like they'll, they'll bruise you by like grabbing your arm. Like, yeah. What the hell? He like grabbed my wrist and I was like, uh, uh, yeah. uh. it is. They're very physical. Um, and judo is really physical too. Judo is also extremely physical. Some of the toughest guys were like these Polish judo guys that I trained with when I was in Japan and they're known for their ground game. And they're just beasts on the ground. 
because they use 100% strength. And when judo guys get on the ground, they just try to like maul you over from turtle and just pin you on your back and hold you down with everything they had, or they like go 100% on submission. So it's kind of weird because they're really good in some positions and then they know nothing in other positions. So it's like weird to roll with because they're super tough and then they're just like trash. And you're just like, it's awkward to roll with them. But, you know, they're also extremely physical where it's just like all or nothing, all or nothing. You know. That's a good question, though. Uh, I mean, well, where, where, where would you expose a, a wrestling? I mean, boxing? if you can get access and you had a great wrestling coach and you could pair that with like, I would say like boxing and, and, and kickboxing and then jujitsu and you could blend them all. I mean, people would be unstoppable. But it's just hard to, to put that mixture in because it's not you don't have access. If you're if you're someone that has great jujitsu, they're not necessarily going to have great striking or good wrestling, or maybe they're going to have bad strength and conditioning. Mm -hmm. Right? Unless they live in Austin, Texas, yeah. and are one <laughs> of our true. kids, where I'm like, ah, like, like my son goes to jits with them, and then uh, uh, Matt brings his son over and they wrestle. So there's like three F wrestling club, which is just right up the road, which matches Matt is one of the coaches at. Yeah. So we have wrestling. We got jits. We got boxing and fighting. Yeah, that's true. This this town is has basically everything. that. The, Matt is a good, good dude. Yeah, he's and, he's then, and then he also wrestled at Hofstra. Yeah, when he was getting so his uh, his MBA masters was yeah. MBA. Yeah, he got his MBA. MBA. So he wrestled at Cornell for four years, and then his fifth year he went to go wrestle at Hofstra. He also played football. Yeah, and he played a football. Double well. a double sport. That's well. What they would do is he played football. I mean, it's obviously. Um, ivy league so it's kind of like eh, it's like a one step <laughs> above high school uh but uh, yeah so i mean the fact that and then he would go obviously wrestle heavyweight and it was funny he was sending me some of his videos and he looks so out of shape he's like god damn i wish i knew you years ago because i wouldn't have been this far out of shape i like i just don't think that people uh like MMA has been really interesting in terms of like developing conditioning and like the UFC and, you know, Joel Jameson eight weeks out. I mean, all of that stuff has been really fascinating in terms of developing different energy systems. And the cool part is, is you have all this, you know, testing and all this training, and then you actually have a place to see if it works or not. And you send the guy out there in the ring or on the mat. Like we developed a whole series of um, protocols for Victor and these guys. Uh, using the echo bikes and the assault bikes because there was no eccentric load. So we could really ramp up the conditioning. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, Victor goes out and smashes this dude and he's laying on the ground. They're like rubbing ice on his chest. And Victor, I see him is over there giving an interview. So uh, <laughs> wait, wait, was this the finals? <laughs> no, there was one of the other matches. That well, yeah, yeah. The matches. So, I mean, he like, he cooked this dude. I mean, they battled, they fought the whole thing. I mean, it went the full length of the deal and when they got done the guy just collapsed and he was on his back and they were like shaking his feet and rubbing ice on his chest and trying to get you know like trying like make sure he didn't die and victor's over there like i think it was a good match like inter getting interviewed and i'm like so i have a great picture of the dude laying on the ground and then victor getting interviewed and i remember thinking like thank god we did our conditioning you know which is uh what was it you know tyson muhammad ali like you know you got to suffer when nobody's around so that you yeah. can look like a rock star when everybody is so. Ain't that the truth? That's the truth to uh, to everything. I'm sure you know. I, I'm sure you had guys in the league that just were natural talent, but just yeah. lacked the work ethic um, that, that could have pushed them over the. Uh, yeah, the uh, the NFL is the single greatest genetic lottery on the planet. Like it, it's true. Like like you can like learn skills and like you know you can go in and develop jujitsu over years and you know mm -hmm. you can be competitive and like whatever it looks like. I mean, boxing's another um another, like another mm -hmm. genetic lottery 
Like you have to have so many intangible skills to even get to that point. But the NFL is like the world's greatest genetic lottery. And then you basically take these people and you throw the world's best athletes out there. And then what differentiates people is like their ability to, uh, you know, stay in condition, speed, all the other stuff, because everybody's fast, but then you have to create durability. And the only way you create durability is through the training process. Yeah. You know, like you might be able to go out and run fast one time, but can you do it repeated efforts? Can you go out and hit, but can you take that abuse? And the only way you do it is, like I said, folding the steel and doing the training. Like you have to be in shape. You have to be real strong and you have to be able to do repeated efforts and be durable enough that you just don't explode. It seems like injury prevention especially with footballs, like is, yeah. is half the battle. Yeah. There's a tempering process. Um, I, I forward these guys. I was kind of stoked last night. I was, uh, sitting on the couch. Um, so I, I have this, uh, we're, we're going to have, um, Eric Juan on the podcast at some, we, we just had him on, but he's the guy that developed that magnet helmet. Sean, this would be good for you guys. It's a helmet that has magnets and these guys do it and it helps develop, uh, like fixed brain injury and oh, PTSD really? and some of the stuff. So, I mean, they use it with fighters. So I was sitting on the, on the couch doing my brain thing and I'm like looking and some guy was watching NFL, uh, the NFL channel. This. Yeah. And he like shot a video of me playing against the Packers and then like tagged me and it sent it to me and I'm like watching, I'm like, Oh shit, that was a good hit. And, uh, yeah, it's just kind of neat that like that's in the universe and people see it and then have a way to send it to me just cause I'm not watching. Yeah, I wasn't totally proud of you dude, because yeah. you put the guy down and he was like getting back up and then you just run up and push him down again. Yeah. And it's, yeah, that's uh, that was my patented move. I would like, I would smash dudes to the ground and then I would wait just as they get up and then I would run and spear them and knock them down again. And normally I would try to dive on them and uh, try to teabag them was my other patented move, which were you like when they're on the ground, you basically just like skid and kind of like uh, rub your nuts on their head when they get up. It's called the teabag. So that was another one of my patented moves. Was well, he the same position as you? Because he looks like, like he looked a little smaller. He's a defensive lineman. Okay. And I was probably like 310. I was probably another 30 pounds bigger than I am now. And D sure DNs are in. usually weighing in around what, 150, uh, 175? No, uh, most of the DNs are anywhere from 260 to 300 pounds. So that, uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that that guy was probably 300 pounds. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just have big arms, so I just look bigger than everybody else. My jersey was way fitter. <laughs> but I, I had to send it to these guys. So you're like, I'm not old and broken. I used to be good too. Uh, the, the washed up uh, yeah. pro at anything. Yeah. Dude, I, I'm telling you. I used it, to be it, ripped. It, it, dude, it, it totally like uh, warmed my heart that I'm sitting there and this guy like sends it to me and I'm like with my magnet helmet on trying to re you know rehab my brain and I'm like, oh, look, it used to be pretty good. And I sent it to these jokers. I'm like, see, I'm going to get you, Philippe. You know what we equate that to is you ever see the guys that wear their medals on the uh, on like their lapel and their suit? Uh-uh. They wear like their the medals they earned. Oh, oh, oh really? Little spit star. Uh, military? Yeah. Uh, after we after they're out, I got like, this in '94. Dude, I, I told you I did that keynote for the army, and my talk got bumped before Flo Groberger, uh, Groberg, um, who won the, the Medal of Honor, and he like came up in a suit, kind of a sports coat, and he was wearing it. And I was like, kind of like, ah, shit, dude, you bumped my talk, and he like took it off and handed it to me. He's like, well, hold this for me, keep this warm. And I'm like holding his is that the equivalent of hold my beer? I'm about yeah. to go on. Yeah. Watch this kid. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's kind of a trump card, right? When somebody hands you their uh their medal of honor, takes it off around their neck and hands it to you. Yeah, you, you know what? I just have a different perspective on that. One of you know, I I, I worked with two Medal of Honor winners, mm -hmm. one posthumously, one who uh, lived. And to the rest of the guys, it's just like, mm, okay. You know, for every medal of honor, there's probably about a hundred or two hundred that just didn't make it to that level. Yeah. Perfect example is Brian uh, Chantosh. Yeah. And you knew who Brian Chantosh is? So my, this is through my lens. 
when you are early in a war and you've had a break from a war like Vietnam to the global war on terror. Yeah. We had the Gulf war one, which was the guys were just so good. They ended it that quickly. So on the ground invasion of Iraq, he's a platoon commander. He's a, he's a Mustang. So he's a prime enlisted Marine. He's now a platoon commander. And uh, they run into, this is what I know. And I'll probably butcher it. They run into a uh, actual uniformed Iraqi like company and they're in trenches. And so they start taking contact and Brian Chantage from my small interactions, he, like this guy has a beautiful mind. It's so different. Like you, you just recognize that he's different than every human beings. And when they tell the stories of him, you're like, yeah, I, I understand why now, but basically they were in a bad position. So he got in a Humvee with the driver. He told them to ram the Humvee into the trench. And then he got out of the Humvee eliminated some enemy fighters to the point where he was out of ammunition, started picking up as yeah, we call battlefield it, tech pickups. battlefield pickups, AKs. And then I think what did he eliminate? I want to say it was something like 15 to 20 yeah. uh, enemy combatants. He was awarded the Navy cross. Again, the Marines also are known for like, you know, the, with the army or the seals would say, Oh, that's a medal of honor. Marines are like, yeah, it's a Navy cross. Yeah. Uh, and um well you're a marine so you yeah, uh, yeah, yeah yeah marines don't have many medals uh okay. and, and i sort of respect it but i there's word i've heard that that is being yeah. considered for upgrade had so that happened in Wikip 2015 it would have been a yeah yeah he has his own wikipedia page about it you guys want to go read it brian chantosh but yeah i mean it was like drives the humvee in gets out like uh like killed everybody in the trench with their own weapons and then picked up some other thing manned a machine gun nest took out like another trench ran over there and i think he was like stabbing them with their own like like the story is like something out of a movie like when you're reading the recap i'm like is this a movie like this should be a movie and brian's always been a guy I, I met him years ago uh, through crossfit and he's always been a, a an absolute stud you know i mean we we competed in some cross i, I went to some crossfit stuff i think we went got you know burgers in between stuff so i mean he's been um you know one of those guys who's just he is exactly lives up to his billing which is really fit yeah he was just so wonderful like what it takes for you to like be able to like succeed in a task like that you know? it's actually uh, actually i don't want to know his his level <laughs> not of, that i want to be there I his level of fitness like i'm uh like i've rarely ever seen anybody with that level of capacity so we were at this crossfit <laughs> event and uh he did like nine workouts like it was to the point where like they were prodding him with like a stick they're like work out again work out again and i'm like is this dude gonna work out again he's over like eating an apple and he worked out again and then i guess when he was training marines um at uh uh at pendleton you know there's a bunch of hills and it's kind of the mountains of uh you know san diego orange county and i guess like the deal was they would all take off running and he'd do the gunny uh gunny highway where like if you can catch me we stop mm. And like, they were like, he would just take off running and like be like hills away from people and to the point where you just run these guys into the earth. Like they couldn't catch him. I got a question for you, Mike. Um, so in jujitsu and Victor will, will agree with me on this and boxing and every other combat sport, when someone's first goes live and they're, you've, you've trained them maybe for six months and then they go live and everything goes out the window and they don't remember anything. Um, and it takes lots of experience going live to be able to get your skills with it, even somewhat you know, similar to how you drill and train and in boxing, same thing people get in the ring. I mean, they, they don't even get close enough to hit the person. So they're like shadow boxing almost and they don't engage and they don't want to get hit. And it takes a while to learn how to get in there and really fight. How do you do that with military? Um, knowing that you can't simulate real live warfare. Like, so you're going in to battles 
especially if, if you haven't been in, in wars in a while, but people that are all white belts as far as like real fights and they've never really been shot at, like what percent, like what the hell, is, how do you even get ready for that? And what percentage don't do anything and just shut down? And like, how do you even, uh, how do you prepare for that? Can you tell I'm planting questions now? That's great. Like, I'm like, hey, ask me this question. I'm so yeah, excited. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, as he's like, talking, I'm like, like, I want to hear so, this. I don't know. This is why I love talking with high-performing guys within their respective fields, which I call warriors, within their respective professions. So, you know, having come into the military in 98, when we were training for the for World War III, I was still doing Russian armor ID, like how to ID tanks and weapons and, and, and things along those lines. And then all of a sudden we end up in a counterinsurgency fight. Now, talking to a lot of the guys from JSOC who were the first uh, deployed, they'll admit they're like, we're supposed to be the best in the world. And we were, we were so fucked up at the start of the war but we speed up to the required speed that's required in order to evolve and, and outmaneuver the enemy. But how it goes is one, you try to make training as realistic as possible, the booms, the bangs, the fake blood, and try to put those guys outside their uh, mental and physical comfort zones, much like you do on the mat. Um, and you, it's just iteration after iteration after iteration. And that's sort of the practical approach to training for war and so i had seven years of training recon marine scout sniper seal i end up in iraq in uh 2005 my first combat deployment and i'm like what the fuck is going on i'm like i like i can do mission planning i understand it but i couldn't take the practical in, in into the the reality of war and all i can say is some pick it up quicker than others and this is why I have a deep respect for an 18-year-old who goes to the Marine Corps boot camp, checks into the, uh, the School of Infantry, goes for that one-month program, which when I went to the Marine uh, School of Infantry, when we came out the end of it, I, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I can read a map and compass. I can yell, ah, we're probably like rushing a, a, a trench. I'm like, God, please don't get shot. Please don't get shot. And then ultimately went through SEAL training. It's just iterative. And you said with wrestlers because they perform at such a high level because they're constantly, it's, it's so competitive and they're just three times a week with each rotation, you get better and better. Now the JSOC guys are a rarity because a lot of those guys have anywhere from 10 to uh, one of my buddies had like 22 combat deployments. That's, in, that's just insane. You may know, but um, you know, this is where all the Dunning Kruger effect though, what really bothers me. And, and again, I'm not, I, I never denigrate anyone's service. I'm thankful that people served, but what I would see within the SEAL community is one, here's, here's the problem with the SEAL community, uh, where fifth special forces group is located on, uh, uh, Fort, uh, Campbell, Kentucky, along with 101st, I can guarantee you there's some kid who knows boxing, who's just like a world-class boxer that's in the infantry that if a fifth group guy runs his mouth out in town, the guy would just drop him. He doesn't care if he's special forces or not. Um, the SEALs are located in San Diego and Virginia Beach, where there's very, and I know Virginia Beach has the most concentration of like troops per square footage, but they're not like combat arms and a lot of them are just regular Navy. We think we, we walk on water. If you picked up the SEAL teams, the West Coast SEAL teams, and put them on Pendleton with the uh, the 1st Marine Division, guys would not be as uh, arrogant. So what I saw within the SEAL teams is that, like, a guy would get one or two deployments. And you got to remember what we're facing, taking the pragmatic 
to realism, so the enemy is as well. Yeah. And so just because we do better, you know, just because you're, you know, because you win doesn't mean you're the best at something. It just means you're better than your competition. Is that a lot of SEALs sort of hit the uh, the peak of Mount Stupid and they think they have everything figured out. And having come off, you know, my my first three deployments were Ramadi, Baghdad, Ramadi, when Ramadi was bad. Second one was 2006, Battle of Ramadi. Third one was the Battle of Sadr City. And so I got a lot of combat under my belt. Uh, comparative to everyone else in the SEAL teams, I was very lucky. Um, I thought I had it figured out. And then where do I go? JSOC. And I'm going through assessment selection and hearing these stories. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Shit. So where do you attribute five combat deployments as far as like pro fights? Like if someone has 40 pro fights or 100 pro fights, where is that? Obviously, like the old time boxers that have like 200 fights. Obviously, they're like wizards. Dude. So Dude. if you have four combat, how many how many fights is that? And, and That's it's so two hundred fights like, is like like really, didn't like how many fights did Tyson have? Not that many. Well, uh, no, but 50? Uh, was it fifty? But like those guys yeah. used to fight once a month. Yeah, they used to fight a lot. The old school guys had 300, 400. And the fights were longer back then too. Yeah, fifteen rounds, yeah. and they and, you know so the old school guys have way more experience. That's why people it's, it's one of the only sports where boxing. The, they said the guy the golden era guys would win. Yeah. They'd actually run through them because there's so much more experience. Oh, here, here, here's the difference though. You're talking about one-on-one combatives, yeah. Where we operate just as far, teams. so it's just as far as experience, though. What would you attribute the experience if you're actually in battles and you're getting that live fire, and you come back? As far as experience, how many does it take before you 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 would say that you're a veteran or you're very like capable? Like, how much of that action does it take to really get you so that you're ready to well, go? Well, I, I I can tell you mine. I had ten combat deployments, and on the tenth combat uh, deployment, I'm like. Oh, I think I'm figuring this out. And then they're like, you're, you're fucking done. Uh, <laughs> go sit at a desk. Um, so you know, it is, it is personality dependent of someone's ability to learn from the mistakes or even learn from the successes and then apply it. The dudes who were the very best one or a JSOC. That's, that's not a subjective comment. That's what is that by the way? Why is that? Well, no, what is that? JSOC, JSOC is the counterterrorism unit for the U S military. A combination of special forces. It, it is. Um, and it, it, to give you an example, I think the last statistic was one out of 40 seals has what it takes to make it to, to their respective, uh, command in JSOC. Uh, it's highly competitive. Uh, you know, just because you graduate buds does not mean you're technically or technically, uh, proficient, much like a fighter is yeah, very yeah. technical. Yeah. Um, you're like a blue belt. You're like a blue belt. Yes. Yeah. But some people never move beyond the blue belt. Uh, and you can have an entire career where you get eight combat deployments, but basically you were a mediocre operator and the team carried you. Right. And, th- and that, that's fine. It, it doesn't mean you're not contributing, but um, it is, I mean, I've saw guys where I had 10 combat deployments and somebody had three and they were just like, they got it. They yeah. got it. I'm like, dude, good on you. They, uh, they, they just had that power of the glance that picked up things I couldn't dude, pick up. That was like in the NFL. Like um, we had uh, uh, like, you know, we kind of broke things into like young guys and veterans. And uh, I wasn't a young guy after like my sec, like uh, the first start of my second year. So my coach would be like, Hey, young guys get out there early. And like, he, he wasn't talking to me and there were dudes in their third or fourth year that were still young guys. 
And uh, I remember when I went out there, he's like, you don't have to be out here. I'm like, I'm not a young guy. He's like, not anymore. So, I mean, I was a, I was considered a vet my second year, whereas there was a guy, you know, three, four years that were still young guys. So, yeah. I mean, it was just from the fact that, you know, who you played against, the demeanor, and, uh, yeah. you know, just knew what the fuck was going on, didn't make rookie mistakes, didn't do dumb shit. Yeah. Like, we had guys that were four- and five-year guys that were still making stupid rookie errors. Yeah. So, I mean. I, you, when you say three or 400 fights, the yeah. toughness of that generation just crazy. in, in crazy. like you, you talk about the gridiron when they they didn't even have the face masks those dudes or even the 40s 50s when they're so, like we were dirty so we had um i was on a podcast recently and uh um so after 2009 when they changed the cba um oh they could only do i think it's five padded practices right so um uh, NFL player now with five padded practices, let's say 17 games, right? So he'll get roughly, what's that, 20, 22 opportunities to get in pads in a day. My rookie year in the NFL, we were in training camp for 42 days. We had a bye in preseason. So we would do two and a half hour AM practice, nine on seven, all full padded, come back and do the same thing in the afternoon. Then the next morning we'd have another padded practice and then we'd have a special teams practice off. So out of two days, four practices, three are in pads, one special teams. We did that for 42 days without break. So an NFL player now will actually, over the course of 10 years, have less hitting and less like actual like field hitting, light one-on-one main type of kind of combat, uh, um, like conflict, like hitting, I guess you could say like contact. Um, he will have less over 10 years than I had in my training camp my rookie year crazy so they're talking about like oh the guys are getting bigger and stronger and faster i'm like no they're not uh they're just having less abuse and they have more opportunity to train and recover so effectively they're bigger they're faster they're moving better because they're not absolutely nuked every single day because they've been just basically beat by it you know when i played for dick for meal we were out there for three hours in 100 degree heat you know, uh, you know 30 pounds worth of gear and it's like one-on-one this i mean you're literally hitting every like like, yeah, it was just super volume to the point where people would be like, come over and be like, what if we all just walked off? They can't fire us all, right? We'd like literally have to talk dudes off of mutiny every single day. That's how fucking terrible it was. And I did that for a decade. And then they changed this. And like a guy who plays 10 years now will not see the amount of hitting that I saw just in my rookie training camp. So uh, that's probably why I got to my second year and I wasn't a young guy anymore because we'd already done so much. I mean, I came and started as a rookie. Um, whereas now I think it's just, they just don't have the opportunity. The same thing in boxing. Like, uh, like, I mean, what does Tyson Fury fight? Like once a year, maybe. Best, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, God, he's, he's, he's just a freak of nature. Again, you look at him just for, for the shape he has. You know? yeah. I mean, that guy's so technical. Yeah. He's six, nine. He's got a lot of shoulder movement. You, yeah. So this, we've had this argument. So because of brain trauma, which has changed everything. Yeah. And then the, you know, the politics get involved. They said, well, what, why don't we stop using explosions in training because of the concussion? Mm. And everyone came back and they're like, we just can't do it. Because if you take the realism away from the training, then you're going to lose more guys in combat. I told you the story about we were at Mid-South and we were walking out to uh, the range and we went by the kill house. Just as we were walking by, they set a charge on the door, which was like a quarter of what they normally blast. And they blew the door off as we were walking by. And like the concussion that hit me, I was like, holy, and dudes just kept walking. They're like, that wasn't shit. And I was like, this is, yeah, and, we'll, and, we'll clack off 25 of yeah, those yeah. in one day. And, you oh, don't yeah. feel no, right. and then when we, and we did the, uh, when we went through the kill house, you know, these dudes were like setting charges in this and they're like, these are a quarter of what we blast with. We, we had something called a Carl Gustav. Pull, pull up a Carl 
Carl Gustav, if you could. And uh, I think the the max you could fire were three per day. And trust me, that's all you wanted to fire because you felt it in your groin. You felt it in your head and you felt it in the the, uh, the groin. And some guys like afterwards would be like, hey, man, I just, I just need to go lay down. But they were awesome, awesome in combat. Like the thing is, is, is brutal, but in training, just awful. Oh. So that little cone thing, you see that little nozzle, it slides to the side. You put this uh, large projectile into it. And um, yeah, it was an 8.4 uh, centimeter recordless rifle. But that thing is just the concussion is, is brutal. Oh. Just a thunder like a couple nights ago rattled me. That was enough. Just yeah. being outside. I was like, what the hell? Uh, Sean, do you, um, do you think that boxers are born or do you think you can make somebody a boxer? Because uh, like just like in football, like either there's people that can take the hits and people that enjoy it. Like, like I took hits and it didn't even – like it didn't even register for me. And I watched other people take those same hits and I watched yeah. guy, I, I watched a guy fall down into a convulsion and have a full seizure uh, during a drill. When, when we hit him, um, I hit the, one of our guys hit him and then I hit him and the dude went down and had a fucking like a convulsion seizure. They took him out. He never played football again and he was done. And we were kind of like, I didn't even have a Nick on my helmet and was like, wait a minute, that hit like almost killed that dude. Man, you must feel good about yourself. Uh, yeah, I do. I, I think about it every morning when I wake up. <laughs> More of a knucklehead than yeah, I uh, I have like this, this is a, a a terrible thing to admit, but uh, I figure if the minute you snap up the helmet, anything that happens is fair game. Like I never felt bad. Like you know, if somebody got messed up, I mean, this guy Luis Castillo uh, tried to catch me with an inside move, and uh, he was wearing a big elbow brace. And when he caught me on the deal, I just wrapped him underneath, locked him, lifted, and then ran as fast as I could this way upfield and jumped and basically. It put his elbow through his forehead and hyperextended and he was done. I was like, oh, well, he shouldn't have done that. And so I didn't have any qualms about it. And he was a buddy of mine. We used to go out drinking too. And I'd see him in the off season. I, I'd like, I just figured if you snap up the helmet, like if we get out in the ring and Sean and I are going, like I wouldn't expect for him to like, Hey, John's a good dude. I'm not going to beat the shit out of him. Yeah. Like I would expect, like if we're going to lace up the gloves and I'm ding, ding, we're going to go out there. Like I'm going to expect that he's going to give me everything that he has and I'm not going to be upset about it. But I mean, that's you guys, you, 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 you train against your best friends and you're like, I'm going to beat the living shit out of you. <laughs> uh, these guys are hilarious because, uh, uh, like they smash each other and then laugh about it after. And then like Philippe, who's one of our other training partners, he's like, oh yeah. Like when he was giving uh, a rush, a rush was having a bad day and he kept getting him in those triangles. And he's like, oh, I triangled the rush like eight times. And Arash is like this motherfucker. <laughs> and then he just laughed about it. That's the fun. That, that, that's the most fun thing about jiu-jitsu. No brain damage, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was. Uh, did you see the combat jiu-jitsu yeah. where they were like slapping each other and yeah. like I laughed for like twenty minutes just watching this dude on the bottom just get open hand slapped to the face. Yeah, different when you add punches. You know, mm. it's just different sports. You know, I mean, they change so much where it's just like, you know, a lot of people don't like both of them. You know, so it's just interesting type of people that want to grapple and uh, do striking it's just rare uh like two different sports almost like you know, people get into golf and they don't want to play tennis you know it's, it, it's so they're so different um and it takes so long to get competent at once people are like oh, i want to get better jiu-jitsu i need to keep practicing but like well you could say that forever and never get good at something else and you could do the same thing with striking but if, the, if you blend them it's obviously um extremely effective uh for you know self-defense if you know how to do both and fun to do both but yeah a lot of people will only stick in one little category you know if, if you are smart if you want to truly set your son up for like success 
I'm going to train him how to be a place kicker and a golfer. <sighs> a little piece of me. Golf, <laughs> golf is such a brutal. I hate golf. My dad has given the better half of his life. Yeah, and, and, he, so. and of course, you try to bring your son into anything you do. And I'm just like, no. And, and people are like, well, it's the, the language of uh, business. I'm like, well, then that's a language I ain't going to speak. Uh, I like to think now, if you live in Austin, the language of business is probably jujitsu. Like everybody, like uh, a lot of these execs and a lot of these high level people, like Jits is kind of that, a little bit of that language. Did you guys have a pretty ele- eclectic crew uh, mm-hmm. with it? Yeah. We do. We do. Yeah. And I think it's pretty fun. Like, man, those dudes are all like, they all like successful in the air and they're here like getting smashed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think people that are, I mean, I mean, they should. I mean, people that are high performing should want to feel like a beginner again and, and challenge themselves to be at the bottom. And, you know, if everywhere they go, they're the one that's always um, on top, then they're not pushing themselves anymore so to, to kind of go back to the to the beginner stage and to be in a room that you know people are only kind of looking at you as your skill in jiu-jitsu is concerned you know you everything that you know in some other area like zuckerberg is is irrelevant so now you know everywhere he's gone for the last 20 years he's probably been the focus of attention and now you know it's probably um refreshing for him to go to a gym and be a white belt and not have to be you know, no one asks him questions. No one expects anything of him. He could just learn and have fun. And I'm sure that's very refreshing for people. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? Uh, you think Conor McGregor's got uh, anything left in him? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm sure he still trains, but I, I mean, he's so distracted. And like, I don't, I don't Did you see him? He, uh, he, he just copped a uh, sexual assault charge at like, what was it? The NBA game? Yeah. He, he went out there and beat up the mascot. And then it was sexual did you say sexual? Well, he beat up the mascot and then he invited some chick into the bathroom and basically uh, they, they're calling it a rape. Um, he like had some weird sexual assault deal. They had video. I mean, who knows if it's true? I'm, I'm you know, in this country we have due process. So, but it's, uh, it doesn't look good. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy's calling an NBA deal, beating up the mascot and then like <laughs> getting in some assault in the bathroom with some, I'm like, what is going on with this? The guy's guy? probably making millions hand over fist. With with his multiple companies, what is the whiskey company? Uh, he sold There's, that, but he made it. it did, oh yeah, yeah. Then he he yeah. he made out like a bandit. There's no reason for him to step in the ring, and he is good at marketing, much like Mayweather is. Yeah. But Mayweather is actually the real yeah. deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last I, thing, there's a lot of you know falseness going on, and and that's where like the Paul brothers are. I think they're trying to create a promotional company. Yeah. I think they're fighting to create a promotional company, but it's the same thing. It's like how much do I have to really fight to be able to just get the promotional company? Which you know, in, in a way, it's kind of promotional world and boxing is so corrupt and old anyway it probably needed people like that to come in and kind of be refreshing and to show them like hey there's there's a lot of ways to do this and he's also given a lot of the fighters more money so you know um talking about paul or mayweather paul paul yeah um mayweather's promotion company seems like the same as all the other ones you know um where they just uh, it's terrible they get taken advantage for yeah. years yeah. and then they take advantage of other young well, fighters uh, <laughs> uh, like mayweather has the like the one ref dude uh, yes. he's like always his ref yes. who like anything happens he's like, like runs in oh yeah yeah like anybody ties him up he breaks it up yeah. oh yeah it's well guys it's that time for uh questions if you got questions submit them uh first one is for victor victor uh so now that you've won uh you know the worlds uh and in the fashion which you want it is everyone coming out of the woodworks for sponsorships uh so so you know i think like jiu-jitsu is such a as you said a new sport my main goal on, you know, competing, being a high level is kind of be able like to put the word out there and like bring new companies, you know, I think a lot of people don't know the potential of this sport. 
uh, if we were there live in the last ADCC, it was a really like great party, you know, like yeah. it's all very different for an NBA game. The crowd is really engaging, you know, and I think this this part is pretty new. So I'm open, you know, and uh, I want to make something more innovating, you know. I think that in Jiu-Jitsu, like, because it's such a small community, it's a lot of the repeating. It's always the same sponsors, the same people, the same people in the background. So I think uh, now it's just, like, be smart, you know, like, try to, you know, reach to new horizons and bring new brands in because I think we have potential for it, you know. And as any new sport, you know, like, the financial side and all that, you know, like, you know, like all that, like make sure to elevate the sport and it's good for everyone. Because I think the the, the the goal is one day to be part of an organized league, like any other sport. I think any other athlete deserves, you know, like if you work hard and if you put your body and your mind on there, you deserve to like, you know, be treated well. A lot of the guys that are competing don't even have like, I would say, they don't even, they don't even have health insurance. Can you imagine going like, uh, there's a high possibility they can get my leg break? My head exploded when we were at the IBJJF Worlds. Um, just from the mere fact that like I had never been and as a professional athlete, like there's a certain level of like expectation of like the event and like the bet was well done, but how they manage the athletes. I like told Victor, I'm like, if y'all had told me this, like I would have just basically showed up with our own stuff. I'm like, uh, let's, let's get our own chairs. Like let's like set up our own area. Cause I mean like these dudes are like, there's bleachers, they had jujitsu mats and that's where all the athletes were just kind of like hanging on the jits mats. They didn't have water. They didn't have food. These guys are like walking up, buying food from the concessions. And uh, I was like, I, I just didn't know. And I was like, you know what? We're never going to do this again like this. We're going to do this thing a little bit better and actually take care of our athletes. So I was funny. I said to Shanji, I'm like, I was like, uh, dude, you didn't tell me this. He's like, oh yeah, it was way worse. It was way worse than this before. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, this is terrible. So um so just ripe right for disruption and as you said well, just it, evolving it yeah. is and, and and i think uh victor's got a good idea with like a jiu-jitsu league uh like i would i mean it'd be kind of neat to see and, and like I, I know they're doing more of these super fights and adcc and you know this whole thing i kind of imagine like you know live pga kind of somebody coming in and consolidating and you know there's like what is it uh, uh fight pass and uh um, who's number one mm -hmm. and, uh, and you know so i mean there's all these different kind of organizations that'd be neat if there was like a uh an, a, an entity that came in that kind of tied them all together where you know you do one and get points and then there'd be kind of a um, you know, almost like a playoffs of deal. Be neat for that. As you describe that, you would think that already exists. No. Yeah, it's too new. It's it's new. And the the the, 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 the federation has a rank, and they're they trying to say it's like a league. But I mean, like I'm not talking bad on them, but it's not really a league if you're not like they have a salary from like yeah. like like it doesn't really work as a league you know so i think well these that, guys are paying for their entrance so victor doesn't pay because he's a world champ yeah but everybody else had to pay to compete and so like i uh, like if i got to show up and pay an entrance fee as like a professional who's like one of the best dudes like it doesn't feel like a very professional deal no it doesn't mean so especially when they're making money on the streaming it oh and <laughs> yeah they still have commercials and they have advertisements right so, so so flow you have to buy it to watch it and as you're paying the money to watch it they're having advertisements up and like my head exploded and i was like what is this mickey mouse yeah so yeah. Give, it, give it give a little to the uh the competitors yeah. similar to uh you know what they have for golf or the pbr you could easily set something like that up and uh let's go talk to uh what's the uh company that owns uh ufc Oh, the, uh, well, it was the Fortita Brothers. It's um, who's it now? 
advertise my agency. Yeah. Zofa? Uh, no, the, huge the people with the WWE. It'll, it'll, it'll come to me. It was the WWE oh, kind of merged with everything, yeah. which yeah. is unreal. It starts with an E. Yeah. Um, Good for them. So the second part of that question is what's next? What's the next horizon for you coming off that? Do you take a break or do you already have your eyes set on the, the uh, next competition? As far as matches, you know, like I, I will have at least one, three more matches to the end of the year, you know, just making the right choices. There are a couple, there's a couple names that come, come, come on my mind and like everyone's mind right away, the big, the bigger names. And I think it would just be a matter of time for us to work and make those match, <laughs> match happen, you know, you know, as I said, and there's a whole thing around it, right? Like, where is it going to be when? When does it work for both of you guys? Because as Joe said, there's a lot of promotions going on. So all these guys, they also have the calendar. So have the calendars match and make those big big fights happen, you know? And then there's also Gi and Noki. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, Victor, uh, you know, obviously fights both. But, you know, there's some guys that don't fight Gi. No. And they're just all Nogi guys. And, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, and I asked Shanji about this. I'm like, how come nobody's done like a super fight where you get like a fight in the Gi and a Nogi and you got to lose both? And he's like, oh, we've tried to do it. But, like, there's not a lot of people that will commit to both. They want to specialize in one. And the thing that I like about these guys is um, and uh, is they fight in the Gi, they fight Nogi. And if you have a a good jujitsu game, you should be able to do both. So I think that makes, I, I also think the gi is, uh, is way worse than, than the no gi for the fact that like you have handles and you can't get away from people, you know? It's definitely more claustrophobic, that's for sure. Oh yeah, and like the, the <laughs> friction aspect, I mean, at least you get sweaty, you can slip out of some stuff in the gi, you're just like glued to people. So this next question is for you, John, I'll read through this. Do you miss the run packages they used to run? They used to run versus the heavy passing game they have today. I was an offensive lineman as well, and I love seeing a good running back uh, run up the middle. <laughs> Even seeing a fullback is rare today. Uh, that is uh, a very detailed, um, excellent question. Yes, the run packages and the way that they run the ball. Um, there was always a philosophy in the NFL that the run sets up the pass. You always had – I, I was cannot think of a single install – or Saturday night meeting where the coach did not say, we are going to set the tempo on the ground with our legs. We're going to put our hand in the dirt and we're going to run the ball down their throat and we're going to set the tempo. We're going to set the tone of this game by smashing the ball. Uh, we were always inside outside zone uh, and a little bit of power. So uh, power, you know, gardens are pulling around on that backer. So inside, inside outside zone and power was our man play. And we ran those, you know, and the ability to run inside and outside zone gave us the ability to go into our two and three jet and our slide protections and all that. So, you know, and then West Coast offense spent right option, which everybody's seen a million times. So that's how that offense worked. But it didn't work if somebody didn't respect your run. And mm. we always played with really good running backs. I mean, a luck for Deuce Staley and Priest Holmes and Larry Johnson and those guys. So we always had guys that could run the rock, which opened up the ability to throw the ball. Now what they've done is they've changed it so much because of fantasy football and other stuff that like the run game is absolutely garbage. And I watch the way that these guys run, uh, especially the offensive line guys don't really come off the ball the same way. And it's just very positional in a lot of ways. So yes, the run packages today are very, very different than the run packages were uh, a few years ago. And, um, you know, and then the other thing too, uh, for a long time in the NFL, you always had these marquee running backs now the way the game works, you can basically throw anybody out there. You have yeah. a you know free agent go in and set the you know single season rushing record because he's able to do it. So um, just the way that they've done it, um, whether it be from the fact they don't want to invest in running backs, uh, you know fantasy football they want to throw the ball deep and it's turned into this passing game. Where I mean, look at the way the rules have skinned. 
where you can't touch the quarterback and the receivers can't go across the middle. I mean, there was a time where if you were a receiver who caught the ball across the middle, you were going to get murdered. Now they can't touch those dudes. So what does it make sense to run the ball when I can move it so efficiently with the pass? So it's a different game when they changed the rules. And 2009 was kind of the end of that era. That is a good point with the, uh, the fullbacks. Yeah. Um, I used to play, I mean, so Kevin, uh, Kevin Turner, uh, God rest his soul, passed away a couple of years ago from ALS. He was our fullback at the Eagles. And KT, when he came through the hole, I could hear the, like I could or not only hear, but I could feel the concussion of him hitting people. Mm. It was so violent that like it sounded like somebody was shooting a gun off next to you. And he used to hit his head into dudes. And it was absolute mayhem. Like to see KT come through, I would like block and try to get out of the way because I knew he, if he was coming in like uh, the A gap or the B gap, uh, and I was there, he was going to hit me. So I would purposely like fight my ass to get out of the hole. Cause when that dude poured in, he was just going to annihilate anything. And then all of a sudden it's like has ALS and goes to this whole thing and passes away. And I'm like, yeah, like those aren't related. You know, funny enough though, if you asked him, would you change a thing? You'd probably say no. It's, uh, it's like, Hey, would you stop boxing? No. No, you love uh, it. Uh, I always hate when, um, you know, Kyle Turley was one of my ex-teammates. Uh, Kyle and I have been friends for a number of years, but Kyle's real, you know, he got diagnosed with early early onset Alzheimer's in his 30s. And he's always said, I, you know, if I had known, I wouldn't have done this. And he kind of that, and he asked me, and I was like, like, I made no illusions. I knew exactly, if you, if you would have told me that banging my head into a dude all this time was like going to be bad for my brain, like we all knew this. Um, you know, now they lied to us in terms of like how severe it was when I came in the NFL, they told us, you know, you get a concussion, you got knocked unconscious. And then 10 years later, when they asked me where they said that, you know, they have this like, like pre, you know, training camp talk, you know, you get a concussion when you hit and you either like your bell gets wrong, your, your eyes go cross-eyed or you feel any form of like pounding in your head. And then the lady goes like, how many concussions you have? I'm like 70,000. Like that was 70 times. Like I can't remember ever hitting somebody where my eyes didn't go cross-eyed. You kind of do this going back. Like uh, I, dude, I took a big hit. A guy kneed me in the forehead and I couldn't see out of my right eye for like 30 minutes, you know? And, uh, but I wasn't unconscious. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a concussion, right? I, I remember watching it was the Chicago Bears. I think the, the wide receiver's name was Tom Waddle. Oh yeah. And he, he had the most smelling yeah. salt, I guess usage of any game they, yeah. they had to break it out like 15 times because he had that many concussions so uh before the game the the trainers would always come and they had a little pregame ritual they would come and they would give us smelling salts and uh i love them like to this day if i like i can even like I, and i would just kind of crack them and i we uh people always be like, okay can i get that and i would just and then hand it to people and they're like ah oh, they get all overly dramatic but there were numerous times where they would put them in cups and we'd have them underneath the bench if you took a big hit you just come over and like all right, everything's fine. And you just do them yourself. So I think uh, it's almost better than coffee. You just get up and maybe a smelling salt and a coffee every morning. Sort of like an ice bath. Yeah, like an ice bath. Well, I mean, that's like how we really judge elite warriors is without by their ice baths. <laughs> Everyone should have an ice bath. Here. Uh, <laughs> Might be said annual training. Yeah, I like it. No, but uh, I, dude, I loved it. Um, like going to Jits and since I started training with these guys is really kind of uh, – uh, been really nice for me in that um, it's a, a team environment. We get to train and then I get to go to jits and it's fun uh, just for the fact that like, I, I know we're not beating each other up and I'm not taking shots, but like, it's pretty fun to like get into a bad position and to be like, Oh, this guy's going to like fucking fuck me up. And then just try to like, just absolutely murder him. Like, so I per like, 
there's been numerous times where I'm like, all right, let, let's see how bad a position I can get out of. And then I just try to do stupid stuff. Victor's like, just stand up on people. And I just stand up on people. Like, that's like, I think the big guy, the big strong guy thing. This is your student, Victor, by the way. <laughs> this is your responsibility. Yeah, no, it's, it's fun. Savage over here. Well, uh, like, like when you're bigger and stronger than people, like I can just stand up on people. Just stand up. Yeah, just stand up. Like, just like when that, when you hurt in your brain, just tap if you're tired or yeah. just tell the guy time out. Yeah. Same thing. I just hear him like, just stand up on people. But uh, it's been fun in that regard. Like, I think if you've done this stuff your whole life, like you just, you continue to do it. And if you don't, then all of a sudden one day you wake up and you don't know who you are anymore. You know, and I think part of your DNA, like for what you guys have done and, Same and, as you. and, 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 and all the door kickers, yeah. and, you know, like you have to continue to be the person. I think there's this idea that one day you retire and you're going to somehow become a different person. I think you have to do things that allow you to continue to be who you are. It's like my cocaine habit. <laughs> I mean, it's why Sean lets other pros beat that are half his age, beat the shit out of him. And, yeah. uh, uh, dude, I saw that. You picture. can't let it go. Can you? Oh, I saw that picture of that big Japanese dude who looks oh. just like, uh, so big, like was, engineered. Yeah. He was engineered. Last question. Uh, this is really for, uh, for Victor and, uh, Sean. And this is from our Lisa Jaster who, you know, Lisa, right? Yeah. Eh? Lisa Jaster is basically, yeah. she's a dude. She's awesome. I say that with, uh, <laughs> with, uh, with all the affection. No, she's a uh, part of talent work group. Uh, she's one of our partners and, uh, she just wrote the book, delete the adjective, which you'll see the, uh, the book cover uh, on the wall over there. So uh, it's Victor and Sean as a recre recreational uh, BJJ practitioner. And I think what she's trying to say is, does this, will this enhance your skills? Do you recommend competing and which circuit is the most friendly for non-pros? Basically, who's not a dick? Do you want to do that? Go ahead, sure. Victor. I you know more about the circuits these days. I think it depends on your skill level, you know, like, I actually have my girlfriend. She started jujitsu six months ago, and now she's starting like to understand more. Like it's funny because she was like, "Oh, I want to do a competition. I want to see like because that it's funny because that's my job. Can you imagine your wife going to an NFL game and like being like there? For <laughs> have you seen so? how little my wife is? <laughs> I know she's like a midget. <laughs> but yeah, she wants to test it out. So then, like, what I what I do is like it doesn't have to be IBJJF, which is the biggest federation. It can be something like we try the AGF or some other other small federations where you know that they're not going to be like some big time competitors just to have fun i think the main thing about competition is for some people is the closest experience you're going to have to fight someone like it's like like yeah. there's there are rules there are, there's a referee and all that so if you ever if you ever want to test like oh let me see how much i know i think competition would just be a good test like you you have a dude on the, like or or or, or grow a lady on the same weight that's been turning on the same time that you have that doesn't know you and then is trying to do really mean things with you. So yeah. it's like the closest thing to get to like, yeah. uh, you know, like I've never fought in the street in my life, but like I, I had a lot of experience mad time, you know, and that's what I tell my students. Yeah. You don't have to become yeah. a pro athlete. It's just like, it's going to be something that you're going to see a lot of improvements. Why? Because you're going to make the commitment. I have, a comp I have a competition in 40 days or like two months. You're going to fix your nutrition most likely because you don't want to, you don't want to end up like gassing. You're going to maybe start like watching out like for your sleep schedule and all that. And then you see that even if you lose after that, whenever you go back to the training room, you see some improvements, but that's why, because you made the commitment and you were scared, not really like you're holding yourself accountable. So as far as like tournaments, if you're just trying to test yourself out, try, try to find like a, 
uh, a small tournament, but you also got to watch out for these small tournaments that are not organized. So I would say, like, try to look for a federation that, uh, uh, you know, like, have, has a tournament, uh, is holding a tournament. And also, if you're, like, over 30, there are divisions for that, like, their master's division. You know, if you're a white belt, it's not really what I matter which, which, which federation you're going because the, 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 the white belt level is kind of like pretty similar. It tends to be pretty similar. But yeah, I think it's just interesting, like if you've been training Jiu-Jitsu maybe for a year or two and you want to see, because you get used to training to your bodies, you know, or even if you go visit some other school in the open mat, they're going to treat you really nice. That's the main thing about Jiu-Jitsu. Like there's a high, you know, probability that some, that you're going to walk into a gym, even if you train somewhere else, you're going to treat you really nicely. But at a tournament, the guy doesn't know you and he's yeah. really trying to like yeah. go after you. Know? With yeah. yeah, and Lisa, no one really cares because you know you're a blue belt, and I think people put more focus on like it doesn't matter. It's like white belts, blue belts. Yeah. Victor's lost probably many tournaments, and no one even cares. Like, yeah. but he's the world champion. That's all that matters now. Yeah, so it's a, it's a way to get better, and people make it too big of a deal in their head. Like, oh, I have, you know, it's like no, it doesn't really matter. Go out there, have fun, learn. It'll make you better. Period. I think that's the story to life. Get yeah, out there, yeah. fail. I'm just more amazed that you've yeah. never been in uh, like any form of like street fight. Have you seen him? He's a mess. Well, I know, no, <laughs> but I just think like they probably look at him. They're like, I bet you that guy does jujitsu. Is probably what they're thinking. Being being massive has nothing to do when you got a bunch of frat bros <laughs> in a bar true. drinking. Uh, there, no. they always pick the biggest no, guy. No, 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 no. UT no. football player. No, I'll, in I'll, the seals would always be the one that guys came up. He's like, what? He was like, what the hell? So, him out. so there was a, a an interesting thing when I was smaller, like uh, 250 pounds. Uh, I felt like dudes were more apt to choose me off once I got like 290, 300. There's, there's a and I, precipice. I just got to this like this like big enough to where dudes were like, "There's no fucking way." And then all of a sudden, like we were like, you know, and I, I like I, I don't think that anybody ever even attempted anything when I was playing the NFL. But when I was younger in high school, like when we yeah. would go places, people were always dicks. But then I got to a certain size where people were just like, yeah, otherwise you like a just, bad day. people aren't going out to Kodiak Grizzlies and just like, oh, yeah, there's a point where there's, well, there's like, a risk analysis. Yeah, that you like, a point uh, where like, your yeah. brain's like, nah. Not the good at best. I remember we we were drinking at a bar in Philly, and I was with John Runyon and a couple of, and John's like six eight, you know, three hundred twenty pounds, and we're with like a bunch of our offensive linemen, and like it just was like I, you know, and I remember Runyon had been out, and he's like, "Think people are going to be assholes or try to pick fights?" And I was like, "No." He's like, "And what do they do?" He's like, "Because uh, we'd smash them." I'm like, "One hundred percent, they would get smashed." Like you can't like you know like what are you gonna do? Some guys gonna get in a bar fight where all these dudes do is strap on helmets and smash their heads in and try to kill dudes for three hours a day and then lift weights and run and all you do is eat to kill do that. I mean you know and uh, uh, the other thing too is but I've seen offensive line or sorry football players that can fight and I've seen guys that couldn't. Um, you know not to say it all transfers over but I know the fight for a long time. It again it's a it's a risk analysis risk risk versus reward. Yeah. What are you really gonna gain? And how could this end so horribly when a 300 pound guy ends up on top of you throwing your back out? Or you got a dude like Sean who's smaller but has the cauliflower ears and you're looking at it and you're like, look at this dude's ears. This is going to be bad for me. We're putting that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Always look at the ears. Yeah. Bottom line. That's the best advice. All right, guys, uh, yeah. we can't thank uh, you enough for joining us. Victor, again, congrats on the uh, the double gold at the, uh, the World Championship. Uh, we'll have you back on since you're local. Uh, for next Friday, we've actually got the Virgin Galactic crew. They're the first ones to go into outer space. Actually, I think it's inner space. They didn't go far. They just went oh. into inner space, not outer space like NASA, and then 
came back. So how did did they have to break through the bubble? Like the you know, there's like a huge like bubble thing that fits over the flat Earth, right? Okay. I, I think they broke yeah, the they bubble. Threw, they broke through the bubble. Broke the bubble. It, it's a uh, accolade that they have that we don't. Again, you you wouldn't go down to the Titanic, would you? Would you do a rocket ship into? Uh, it feels like it's about the same thing, right? I do the rocket ship over going in the water. Right? Yeah, I would as well. Because I can, yeah, so, I'd rather so, blow up in uh, in the air than, uh, than drown. suffocate. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to implode. It's not good. Mine also comes from twenty years in in a maritime force, just yeah. having a, a healthy respect for the right. sea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, people already fly airplanes, so uh, the sea scare the the sea kind of makes me nervous. Where like, what is it? Less than two percent of the ocean's been yeah. explored. Like there's a whole lot of stuff that we got going on down there we don't know about. And there's nothing in the sky that's going to eat you. And the pressure yeah. is crazy. The pressure is crazy. There's, there's yeah. no pterodactyls that come it's out. Very of the dark eye. too, right? Yeah, it's all black. So like that—that's the thing. Like um, when they were, you know, to go look at the Titanic, like were they going to have lights to shine on it, or are they just looking at it through a screen? The screen. See, that's not good for me. That's why I'm saying just send a, a rover down. I'll sit on the uh, the ship with some prosecco and win-win. <laughs> I like it. Everyone's safe. All right, guys. Thank have you, a great bro. weekend. Right. Sign off your social media on Friday. Try it. You may uh, enjoy your weekend a little, a little more. All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, this.